Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Miami has so much appeal. A great place to get a seafood meal. Miami. Miami, Miami, you've got style. Picture at Los Angeles 2015. Welcome to Out on the Lanai, the only Golden Girls podcast you will ever need to listen to. I... I'm H. Allen Scott. And I am Carrie Doherty. And this is a podcast where we usually have someone over to watch an episode of The Golden Girls and talk about it, but today is something special. I always love it whenever we have a special episode, you say usually. I know, I know. like, oh boy, something big is coming. <laughs> um, the guest that we're about to introduce is someone who... We gotta set her up. We can't just say the name. We have oh, to like, oh. yeah, there's She's a thing. someone who has been there, like fans of the Golden Girls and fans of the podcast. Can I? I'm just going to do a, a backwards thing before we even introduce her. That when I was a young child oh, wow. watching, we're going way back in the 80s, watching the Golden Girls, and I remember thinking because I was obsessed with B. Arthur because I thought she was so funny. And as a young stand-up, that's what I wanted. I wanted to deliver like B. Arthur. And then in the flashback episodes, I'm going to give this away. Who it is? In the flashback episodes, I saw this woman, and she just looked. So much like, like she just had Dorothy's mannerisms, everything. It's like there was no, it wasn't even like a spitting image. It was just the mannerisms and it was young Dorothy. It could have been me. It was like, it was like in The Little Mermaid when Ursula takes Ariel's voice. Oh, yeah. If she adopted her essence. I can't, I can't talk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. Great moment. So we have a very, very special guest, and Carrie worked very hard at getting her here today, and we are so, so glad that she is here today. Everybody, please. I love how I was saying, I always say everybody, please welcome. There's, <laughs> there's an applause break. Clapping. Yes, they at will. Home. At home right yes, now. Yes. Applause. Everyone start applauding. <laughs> in your living rooms, on the subway, in your car, wherever, uh, right now, uh, for Lynn Green. Oh, oh yay. So I'm applauding. We're applauding. Yay. Oh. <laughs> They're applauding at home. Sweet of you. Very sweet of you. Very Welcome, happy Lynn. to be here. So, Lynn, you were in, you played young Dorothy mm-hmm. in uh, four flashback uh, vignettes in uh, four different episodes, which... The sort of clip vignette episodes we've always said are, I mean, they're, they're fan favorites. They're one of the top, like, rated episodes of all Golden Girls episodes. I'm, 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 I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm honored. Yeah. I'm pleased. Yeah. That's so, so nice to hear. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> and um, so you were, in, um, you were in A Piece of Cake. You were in One for the Money, Mother's Day, and Dateline Miami, which were mm-hmm. all amazing episodes. And I think... Two of which we have covered on this podcast so far. So far. We've covered um, a piece of cake and one for the money. Yeah. Um, but a piece of cake was the episode where we actually see Estelle Getty play a young Sophia for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the episode where it was Sophia's birthday, and mm-hmm. she thought that she 
was turning 48 when actually Sal reminds her, no, she's actually 50. Mm-hmm. And she's so upset. There's so many things she wanted to do. She wanted to be a ballerina. Um, mm-hmm. And Lin Yu as Dorothy give her this great speech about, you know, she's already done so, so much in her life, you know, mm-hmm. like raising a family during the Great Depression, making sure there's always food on the table. And um, it was it was such a wonderful, I mean, they were all wonderful. It was such a wonderful introduction to you. And so mm-hmm. one of the things that I would love to know is since I had that reaction to you as a child thinking, so how, how perfectly matched you were as B. Arthur, what led you to that point in getting that first episode? Well, I had actually auditioned for her daughter. Oh. And um, I, a friend of mine, actually the director, Lonnie Price, who's a very close friend of mine, um, knew Kathy and Terry Grossman. Who, mm-hmm. And um, he had told them, you should see, you know, my friend Lenny. And um, I, I got the sides and they were, they weren't, they were like <laughs> a child. They weren't like B. They were like, oh, mommy, whatever. They were not, they weren't really, um, they, they, they were like, she had a daughter that wasn't anything like her. Yeah. So then I was faced with the what do you do? Do you go after the, the job with these lines that don't sound at all like her? And Lonnie said, go in and do it as B. Mm-hmm. So I ended up at the audition going, oh, mommy, you know, and, <laughs> and doing this whole thing to with her, you know, doing her as best as I could. And... Um, uh, and to oceans of silence. Yeah. I mean, not a crack in anyone's smile, nothing, nothing. It was just like, I, and I left mortified. Uh, <laughs> this was a chance to, you know, I, I was a huge fan of B. Arthur's, and I, I really wanted to, uh, you know, as an homage, really. And I, and I left, and I felt really badly. And I remember we went out for sushi, and I, I had just multitudes of sake, feeling like I had, uh, <laughs> I, had, I had failed. And then they came back, and they wrote the episode mm-hmm. uh, for me. Wow. Um, which, I, which never, of course, happens. But it was a little bit like, oh, it, you know, look, we found a dog and pony act or something. <laughs> and, uh, well, they essentially built a whole new set around you. Yeah, I mean, that flashback was probably right. one of the most expensive set pieces to uh, happen in that episode. Well, that's interesting because it was, of course, supposed to be depressed 19-something yeah. or other, you know, depression furniture and stuff. But, yeah, so that resulted in... The first episode, uh, which went well, mm-hmm. so they invited me back for more. And how long had you, had you been in Los Angeles at that point? Because you were in New York previously, right? I, I wasn't in. Oh. Uh, I, I had sort of gone back and forth. Uh, I, I was doing. Um, I think I was doing a show called "Floor of the Red Menace," okay. and uh, and they they called and said, do you want to come back and do it? And then, so I was not living here. I often flew back in just to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, eventually I, I moved here, but that was more for the writing than it was for the, the acting. But um, I got a, you know, I think it was a, the big the big issue, of course, was what was B going to think of it? Yeah. You know, what was B going to think of anyone portraying B? And one of the uh, the nicest moments of that was I, I passed by the dressing room where they were showing uh, 
something they just recorded, and I saw her smile. Oh. Wow. And I was, I was pleased. I mean, that was a very nice moment. And, and, and I think she knew the reverence in which I held her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you guys have many interactions? Oh, in the, yeah. yeah. I mean, of course. But a lot of it was, you know, I was very familiar with her theater work. Mm-hmm. And so I would ask her things like, uh, tell me about the Three Penny Opera. Yeah. Did you know you were making theater history? And nobody in Hollywood really asks B. Arthur about what it was like to do Lucy Brown then. Yeah. And she used to get a, a kick out of, I think, um, her New York yeah. past. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, it wasn't, I can't honestly say that we, we, uh, there was a generational gap there, we, but I, was, I, I did get the feeling a few times that she was uh, very kind and very supportive yeah. of me. I, I have nothing but fond memories. And when we met since before her, her passing, um, she couldn't have been nicer, yeah. really. She was, she was very kind to me. And just to give some background on, for, for the younger listeners out there, of B. Arthur's theatrical history, I mean, she, was, she started out as a very, very important Broadway performer. Her husband um, directed her in the, she originated the role, but in MAME, as uh, in MAME, and then also Fiddler on the Roof and the Three Penny Opera, and she had a, she was, she was before even Maud, she was known as a iconic Broadway performer. Yes, and uh, So it was a, uh, so, and that's where her, the fandom came initially on right, your part. Right, right, yeah. right, right. I knew, I knew less of her, uh, I knew less about Maud, in mm-hmm. fact, than I, than I knew about her on stage. Yeah. She I was, thought that was refreshing for her, like you were saying, you know, if, you know a lot of people asking her well, what I, about. I had a, I think, a genuine appreciation for her craft. Mm. Um, nobody could... Nobody could make a take last that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody could get three laughs on one take, you yeah. know. Um, and uh, you know, there was it was a very it, her 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 humor came in her lack of humor, and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, put her. There was one episode we did where they in, in the first part put her in a children's party. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's we. That was the last episode yeah. we. One of the last episodes we watched, but a recent episode yeah, we watched. and it's like all you have to do is put B up with a bunch of children, yeah. and you know, some one of these things doesn't belong. You know. Oh yeah, she's so upset. Like yeah, yeah. Rose dragged her there, and Rose, of course, you know, like a child, all excited that they're there, and she loves her Mr. Ha Ha dog. And yeah. <laughs> not one to be there. That was true. Was I have to say, name? one of the things that I remember mimicking you as the actress playing B. Arthur's character, um, that you had this thing in that episode where, and I'm going to do it, you, of course listeners can't see it, but you had this thing where like you would put your hand on your hip and then you said, a Swanson would call those radio dinners and you had this like angle thing. I can't even do it. It was like hand on hip hand in the air and it was so B. Arthur. It was well, so I studied her. You know, they perfect. gave me they were very kind in that they gave me weeks of her tapes so that I could, you know, actually see what she did physically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, which was the fun part, you know, yeah. we're seeing if you could not do an impression, but embodiment of of sort of what that would be like if she were a young, you know, a young person. Mm-hmm. So and that's exactly what it was. And that's like 
And I think that's what's so special about it, is I can't imagine, it's one thing to do an impression of someone, but to be able to embody them and like, what would have been maybe a little bit different about them when they were younger, what mannerisms did they have that, you know, when they were younger that they still have when they're older, like, mm -hmm. that to me must be so incredible, it's just, it seems so difficult, so just the fact that you were able to pull it off and like, I don't know, and there were there were certain things that were like very nuanced, and there were certain yeah. things that you would do that I think were a little like oh, like the hand gestures. But you know, it's you're so lucky to have the opportunity to have been able to have a model, you know, to do this on. You mm -hmm. actually could. There was there was enough evidence to be able to go. Oh, this she does this all the time. She does that all the time. This is. It was, uh, I had, I had good study material. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I was able to sort of, you know, practice. Yeah. You yeah. know. And we talk about it on the podcast a lot too, how it was so incredible how, you know, B. Arthur could just say so much with a look mm -hmm. or like when she would bite her fist or there were just so many yeah. just things that she was able to, I mean, she definitely out of, I think out of all the actors on the show got the most laughs by doing, yeah. I, I'm not going to say by doing nothing, but, you know, by doing, she, she, she classically yeah. underplayed yeah. And, and, yeah. and knew how to do that with the least amount of, you always wanted, you always, the, the, the fun of B was uh, you projecting uh, what she was thinking. Mm -hmm. It was, uh, so they didn't have, it was a reaction. I mean, basically she, nobody could react to the way she could. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, she was, she was flawless. It was a, it was a, I consider it a great privilege, you know, to have it, it mm -hmm. been able as I, to do that. As I got older and watching those, and just watching every sort of B. Arthur episode, but she, as a writer myself, looking at that and looking at the performer, you know, I mean, in all the interviews that she ever gave, she always said all of those looks, all of those, everything were always written into the script. It was always, you know, she was instructed to do these things, which I think she was giving a lot of credit to, to writers and less credit to herself and her ability to really you know, say a lot without saying a lot. Well, and you can say she pauses and looks and somebody else will pause and look and mm -hmm. then, but B will... Pause and look. And, and, <laughs> and you'll fall apart. Yeah. I mean, yeah. she was, she was that skilled. Yeah. As, you know, what I thought was phenomenal about watching them work together is that they all had very specific strengths. Mm -hmm. Um, and very different personalities. You yeah. Know? And, and, uh, so I mean, she she was the base, you know. She was mm -hmm. uh, there were trebles and piccolos and yeah. you know horns and violins, but she yeah. was definitely the base. Well, let's talk about some of the other um, actors that you worked with in those episodes. Just most specifically, uh, Estelle Getty, and yes, and yes. what that was like working with her in those flashback episodes. Ah, uh, well, Estelle um, was starting to have some memory problems, mm -hmm. and. Um, and I think that she, I mean, I don't, to be very candid, it was, it was very challenging because I think that uh, she, she couldn't have been nicer. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I have nothing but love and, and fondness for, for, for Estelle. And uh, she enjoyed uh, being made to look young. Mm -hmm. She very much enjoyed that makeup. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it was her chance to, she thought she looked great. And for the first time she wasn't appearing like this little, you know, she, yeah. it was, she, she loved, they had to make her look old. Right. Yeah. Right. So she got to play, she, she loved the way she looked. Um, you <laughs> know, that. what would happen with 
uh, Estelle, is that you know if you're you're the newbie, you 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 you're ready. You you mm-hmm. come on on one take, two takes, three takes four takes, and you're going great for about 10 takes, but come take 20, you may be a little bit less good than you were on take 10, Yeah, but that's the one she got. Wow. So um, there, there was, uh, it was, a, it was, um, it was worth it. Mm-hmm. It was worth the wait, yeah. but um, it was also, I think, a challenge to her. And, and, and I think she enjoyed them very much uh, doing them. Well, and the other actors on the show, they talked about how there were signs. I mean, even B. Arthur in her interviews since Estelle passed away, she had talked about how there were signs early on that, you know, Estelle was having problems. And so, it, you know, it's not a surprise that those happened early. It's just more how I think the actors and writers and directors and producers of the show really focused on what she was delivering and the goods she was delivering you know, and worked with her. They, 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 no, in a way it served her mm-hmm. because if you notice, you'll be, you'll be in the middle of a scene and then they'll punch in for her punchline, yeah. you know, and they, sometimes those are pickups, <laughs> but they actually pop. But I, I do want to say that regardless of, of, of the struggle that sometimes I, I found she was experiencing, uh, Again, extremely kind mm. and very generous and um, funny. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as as you get older, lines don't come easily anymore. And yeah. she was, you know, she had her challenges, but very dear. And she enjoyed those mm-hmm. very much, I think. One of, the, uh, one of the episodes that we love um, where actually B. Arthur is, is yeah. the only flashback that she's in is, was in Mother's Day where she's actually playing Sophia's mother. And so it's the one where <laughs> Sophia um, is the one where... Um, I know that one, yes. Sophia and Sal are, are arguing, of course. They have a great line where Sophia goes, uh, Salvador, did you give me a present for Mother's Day? And he goes, why? You're not my mother. Which, like, I mean, there's a bickering between them. And, and we even joke about the fact that in the uh, the first episode with where we see the, the flashback with Sal and Sophia, he's in the kitchen. They're yelling at each other through yeah. the wall the entire time. We don't even see Sal in the first episode. Which is very much like my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just yell through Yeah, the there's a lot of yelling through the house, never at each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, but it, it's the episode where... Um, uh, they're trying. Sal and Sophia are trying to get her mother to move in with them, mm-hmm. and so they're arguing about it. And then when you come in, right. pushing. Yes, I remember <laughs> that was chair. that was a, that uh, of the ones that we did. I think that was the most traumatic, and oh. partially was because B had to be in old age makeup oh. for many hours, and um, no woman likes to come out of the makeup trailer looking. 20 or 30 years older than you are. Uh, so she was not in the best of moods. And um, I will say that when B was not in the best of moods, it, it, it made everybody very nervous, I think. And, uh, and I think that I remember making that entrance three times because I kept crashing her into a wall. I mean, it was, it was, she was, it was, it was not, uh, she was not happy. But uh, but it, it you know it's fascinating how it, it ends up playing just fine. You'd yeah. never know this, but it was uh, nobody wants to come out of a makeup trailer 
looking. Well, and it's such an amazing entrance to see Dorothy yeah. wheeled in, looking so. Oh man, nobody, but no woman wants that to be. Yeah. But, you know. And yet they get to Estelle for. Yeah. Know, well. All but four episodes. But I think there's a difference. There, there definitely is a difference between Estelle and B. Arthur in that B. Entered, B sold the show. B was the iconic. Her and, and, and Betty White were probably the two of the most iconic sort of characters on the show when the show started. And, and Estelle had just gotten off Torch Song Trilogy on Broadway, and that was sort of her amazing Broadway show, which I've said before to listeners, you know, if you are a young gay man, you have got, you have got, you have got to read Torch Song Trilogy, or if you're lazy, see the movie. Mm. And it's it's just incredible. But that's where that's where Estelle got. So she was sort of not as huge. So she probably was like a character actor ready to, I mean, I'm assuming she was... Well, she broke out, though, because it was like writing a character that has no censor because of a stroke mm-hmm. is, you know, you have to you do have to give it up to the writer there because... Um, uh, this this character you can go to to say the worst things all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and so it, it is. It is the it, you know, but it's she. She was a walking punchline. Yeah, and and uh, so I think pretty soon people were also tuning in to see that crazy little old lady. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. So yeah, but yes, I think B. Uh, you know. B was the substance in so many yeah. ways of, of... She had an aura. And also, you know, a, a, a heart. Mm. Um, I want to talk about Betty White for a yes, second. Yes, please. Um, because I just want to say that Betty White is absolutely as nice as you think she is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people for the camera or for like, you know, she's always smiling. and she. This was a woman who who would come up to a guest, you know, which I was... And make sure I was comfortable. Wow. And she was the most inviting. And, and she had done one episode where she did this really touching monologue to her dead husband over yes, a case. Yes, that's such and, a that And I went cry. up to her and I, you know, I, I just said, that was just beautiful work. And she was, you know, all coming from you. And, of course, this was Betty White. Yeah. But um, she is, I mean, I, I, I wish that everybody could get to work with people that nice because, you know, there was absolutely no... Her first order of business was to be kind to strangers. That's and, good to know. And, uh, and she's, you know, you see her smiling, you see her up, and you, is she really mm-hmm. that nice? She's absolutely consistently that nice. Wow. At least my experience, having been on the show and spent all that yeah. time, yeah, I, I only saw her um, sweet. Yeah. It's so amazing because over the years, there's so much folklore of the relations between the women. And even um, Rue McClanahan and Betty White let this go on. She even said it in a mm-hmm. CNN interview. But they they loved sort of playing on the folklore of the tensions between the women and how, like, you know, there's the constant sort of thing that's chattered about Betty and B not being friends or not being friendly. And, and, uh, and then I just Ru- think they were totally different styles. Yeah. You know, I, I feel closer to B because I'm shy. Mm-hmm. And I think B was a very shy person who didn't feel, you know, let's face it, no matter how old you are, if you're a little blonde person mm. and people think you're adorable and cute, it's a lot easier in the world than <laughs> if you're a tall, dark girl. Yes. And, you know, you have to get to know somebody in order not to be threatened by them, mm-hmm. and, you know. And uh, so so I think there was just a, a difference in style. Uh, 
between the two of them. Um, when B liked you, and you got the feeling that you know it meant it meant so much, yeah. you know, because she wasn't an easy person. Yeah. But if you're, you know, on the other hand, if you're a nervous newcomer and you're, you know, how nice of Betty White to take care of me. And by the way, all the women, for whatever lore you're hearing, every time I was there, every lunch, they went out together. It wasn't wow. like, it wasn't yeah. like, uh, I'm going to my dressing room, I'm going to mine. It was, you know, they often, were you eating? And it was always, I think at the time it was the Columbia Bar and Grill or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they, they... They played really well together. Hmm. I mean, everybody, you can't go through that many episodes yeah. without having your moments of meltdown because we're human. But yeah. they, they were consummate professionals, really. That's amazing. So let's talk a little bit about you because oh. I'm really interested in you. Um, well, thank uh, you. In two ways. I'm from Massachusetts. Oh, where? I'm from Carver, which is right next to Plymouth. Oh, sure. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And where are you from? St. Louis, Missouri. Oh, okay. Yeah. I acted sort of, there once. So. Oh, yeah? yeah where yeah. about? Uh, right near Webster College. It was called oh. St. Louis Rep. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you know Milton Zoth? No. He does a thing there. He's my drama school teacher. I was in Kirkwood. Okay. Right next door right. to Webster. Yeah. Yeah. But I was in St. Louis Shakespeare Company, if that means anything. That does. Sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> yes. I, I cut my teeth. I did. I did the Three Penny Opera there, oh, which is nice. why I was so interested in B. Yeah. Yeah. That's so... Yeah. So you're... Your theater background. I mean, one of the, I think the biggest things that I know of, at least, is um, your role in Assassins, uh-huh. which is a, a important show that people should know about. Um, but what, are, what other things have you done in theater? And how uh, did you, when you were doing the Golden Girls, you were doing also a lot of theater in New York? Yeah. Um, well, I trained at Juilliard. Mm-hmm. And um, when John Hausman was alive in the, this is making me feel really old. Um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, I spent a lot of time doing regional and repertory theater. I was a, more of a classical actress. I did a lot of Shakespeare. And um, I had my own television series when I got out of uh, uh, Juilliard. It was after Rhoda and before All in the Family. And it was called On Our Own. And it was me and Bess Armstrong. I don't know if you Bess know. Armstrong! Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and we, it was our first uh, TV experience. And... Yes, we were on the cover of TV Guide and all of that. If that brings a bell, TV Guide, people yes. still know what it is. Oh, oh I okay. use the app, but yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, but <laughs> then it was in paper. And, uh, you know, and so I'd had a little TV, but mostly theater. And I did a show called, uh, as I think I mentioned earlier, Floor of the Red Menace, which was mm. a Candor and Ebb show. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a successful show for me. It started Scott Ellis's career and mm. Susan Stroman's career right. and Vianne Cox's career and Peter Frechette's career and uh, Eddie Corbich's career. There's a lot of <laughs> actors from here. Um, and uh, then, you know, uh, there came a point, I think, and it was about probably around Assassin's time when um, I had done A Moon for the Misbegotten mm-hmm. and I, I did it in your neck of the, the woods. Mm. I did it in... Um, Kansas City. Okay. And um, I, I, I came off of that and went, this is the best role you will ever have. Mm. Um, this is the best writing that can be done for a tall drink of water like you. And <laughs> this, is, this is the height of 
you know, for you, what you went to school to train for. And I, and I kind of looked and I went, you know, uh, that's not right. There should mm-hmm. be more women's roles. Yeah. And I also um, went from there to Assassins and, uh, you know, it was a big fantasy working with Stephen Sondheim and, yeah. and, and, and Jerry Zachs. <laughs> And uh, I laughed because it was the kind of experience where every night we were close enough to the, the audience to hear, oh, my God, they're going to execute him. They're going to have went through <laughs> Are they going to really hang him? In- I can't watch. It was just one night after another. Just to give some background on what Assassins is, Assassins is a musical by Stephen Sondheim, probably not one of his most famous musicals, but an iconic musical nonetheless, where it depicts different assassinations, um, well, different assassins assassinating things throughout history. Yeah, the idea that that I think the philosophy of the the show was uh, everybody has the right to be important and known, mm. and you know it's and if you shoot a president, then people will remember you for life, yeah. uh, and it's the need for the American need for celebrity and fame, and the American need to um, be heard and make a mark and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I think people's disappointment with where's my prize? Where you know, mm-hmm. why aren't I being uh, given the American dream? And what happens when that's deprived? So it was it, it thematically had a lot of interesting things in it. Um, and so yeah, I ended up doing doing that. And at the same time, um, and I, I had done a little, you know, the Golden Girls in, in, in between and betwixt that. I did a documentary my first, and uh, I, I liked it. I thought, ooh, I, I sort of like this. And You directed it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and raised the money for it. Whatever, <laughs> in those <laughs> days, it's, you know, there were no Kickstarters. Yeah, it was, how did you raise money for it? Oh, hard. I, flyers and conversations and whatever. But um, I think what, what happened was... Um, my writing partner is somebody that I've known since I'm 13 years old. Wow. And uh, he was an actor, and um, Richard Levine. And we, I said, I'm, I, I was told by actually Jamie Wooten and Mark Cherry. Yeah. Uh, I sometimes think when somebody's funny, and I was, in, in, in Floor of the Red Menace, I was funny, and they saw me do that and they sometimes mistake the actor for being funnier maybe than their (laughs) brain is you know so I I was hired on a sitcom to to, we were hired on a sitcom uh, which was the five Mrs. Buchanan's Mm. which had a stellar cast of 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 ladies Um, and then after that you know Rich and I ended up doing uh, half hour sitcoms for about Eight years. <laughs> you guys have staffed on different shows. Yeah, yeah. And then um, ultimately, uh, we, you know, it, the funny thing is, is that in, a, in I don't even know if they do this anymore. But around two in the morning, when you're rewriting uh, uh, in front of a studio audience, you have to re. You want people who are going to come up with the joke at three mm-hmm. in the morning. I wasn't that person. I could lead you there, but I couldn't <laughs> form words. Yeah. Uh, so I, mean, I think we got a very clear indication that we should go into our and, uh, <laughs> drama TV. Yeah. You know, yeah. So we we ended up uh, working on hours then, and uh, and what are the, some of the shows you, you well we on? started on. Uh, 
a show for Don Belisario, which was called First Monday. He did JAG and NCIS and uh, Quantum Leap, you know, and we learned really our craft from that. And then after that, uh, we were very lucky. We were uh, doing Nip Tuck for, mm. well, we ran Nip Tuck for a few years. And, and, and you directed a few episodes. Yes, well, I now. directed a couple episodes of Nip Tuck. Did you direct the Rosie O'Donnell episodes? No, but I oh. was on set uh, when, when they chopped off her ear. I love those episodes. Yeah, she was fun. I also love the Mario Lopez episode, but for I'm a different sure reason. I'm sure you do, yes, for a, a totally reason. different reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, they were all, I'll tell you, they were, I, I got my sexual education. <laughs> but we but worked, it led you to another show that yes, yes. got a sexual education. Yes. Well, we've, we've, we did, uh, we did Nip Talk and then I think we did our own thing, which was, uh, with Virginia Madsen for a summer replacement on ABC, uh, and then called Scoundrels, which was not, uh, didn't last more than a summer. <laughs> Mercifully for everybody. <laughs> and um, then uh, we did a show called Boss, which mm. was with Kelsey Grammer, yeah. which I'm terrific. Chicago proud. mayor. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which was, uh, I feel very good about I that. liked it a lot. Thanks. We, we I'm a Kelsey, that. I named my cat after Kelsey Grammer, Frazier. Really? Yeah. Oh. I'm a Kelsey Grammer fan, except for the Republican part, but everything else I'm a fan. <laughs> That's true. But you know what? He's a consummate professional yeah. and, and working with him. Politics doesn't enter into it. Yes. You get out early because he is, uh, he's, he's no nonsense. He's, if, he went to Juilliard too. Mm-hmm. And first and foremost, he cares about the work and yeah. he he's, deserves all the accolades. He that shows. show was very good. I think you can see it on Netflix or Amazon yeah, Prime or something Yeah, and you know, he now. got a Golden Globe for yeah. that and, and an Emmy nomination and, and very well should have. I yeah. thought it was one of the best male performances on television I'd ever mm-hmm. seen. It was Shakespearean, you know. Yeah. I saw him uh, in Macbeth in Boston at the Orpheum Theater when I was like 14 or 15 years wow. old. Yeah, Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. He's a real actor. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's a genuine... He's also a very successful producer. Yeah, he's produced he has, quite he a has, few sitcoms. He has a very good team. I yeah. Know. yeah. And then after that was Masters of Sex. And then now we have uh, we have a show that's just been um, picked up, greenlit by Amazon. Oh. Congratulations. Thank you very much. That's great. And it's based on Meg Wolitzer's book called The Interestings. Oh. And um, it's due to be shot in February and delivered in April, and I hope it's wonderful. But yeah. We're in the process of finding the right director and casting, so um, that's the current. Yeah, wow. it's very exciting. It's been. It was actually a. It's a. It's been a month since the pickup, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's a special piece of material and needs really the right director for it. So we're being very meticulous. So what? Going from comedy to drama, like, what kind of transition is that? How, how in terms of the work pace, in terms of how you write the scripts, what kind of transition? Well, creatively, it was a great, sort of a great combination of being weaned on really great plays because mm-hmm. we went to Juilliard where you got these great plays and, you know, great scenes and all of that. And then when you go into half hour... You have, um, at the time, the tyranny of like three jokes a page. Yeah. And you learn to write very tightly mm-hmm. and very wittily that your dialogue really had to pop. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the stories uh, get resolved 
it, we're talking about a period of time, so yeah. I don't know that this would be the case now. Certainly, I think there's been great improvement. Because this was multicam this sitcoms was multi-cam, you were writing for. Right. Yeah. It, you know, I think there's been huge steps forward in, in uh, getting out of the more formulaic mm-hmm. uh, aspects of it. And I'm a big fan of things like girls, and, yeah. you know, where, where you're laughing and you don't necessarily have to conclude with and they... And yeah. this is how Sophia ended up fixing it. You know, it doesn't. Yeah. So there, that's that. That's a a real, I think, uh, evolutionary, progressive thing. But for us, um, we always found that our best jokes came from character. Mm-hmm. I mean, both of us were actors, and so when somebody you've been anticipating is going to react some way, finally react some way, it's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily in the line, uh, if you understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the joke so much as it is. It's less the turn of phrase and more the behavior. Mm-hmm. So transitioning into our, for us, was uh, so easy uh, because uh, one of the frustrations of half hour is you couldn't ever really go deep enough. You mm-hmm. couldn't really explore what you could explore in an hour. Mm-hmm. Your stories are more complicated. The characters are deeper. And you you have the opportunity to be witty and funny and, and comedic within the context of a bigger story. And mm-hmm. you also have the opportunity to... And I, I, you know, in Norman Lear's time, I think he really changed society by making people laugh at Archie Bunker and mm-hmm. you know Maud and all of that. And and you know what what Nip Tuck enabled us to do was you you, you sort of felt like you get to explore the depth of superficiality of the culture yeah. and uh, and just what uh, what kind of external and still comedic. As much as possible, because yeah. it's entertaining. You know, yeah. in the end, it's still all entertainment. But Boss didn't, you know, wasn't necessarily, yeah. enter- you know, it was very entertaining. It wasn't comedic. It was dramatic. It was dramatic. It was, but, yes. it was, it was, <laughs> but, but I think the transition was, was really, for us, uh, finally getting into a pair of shoes that mm-hmm. went, oh, yeah. Can we talk a little bit about Masters of Sex? Because I know, sure. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the show. I don't care. Do you watch the show? I, I don't watch it, but I used to, uh, I worked on the Sony lot on it. Okay. And, Which one? Um, I worked on the Goldbergs. And oh, sure. um, I worked there last season. And it's funny that you were saying, you know, do 30-minute shows still kind of, is there a particular point where they would have to wrap up in the la-la-la moment with mm-hmm. the resolution and and I, I still think that a lot of 30-minute shows very, you know, if it's at a particular page or we know, okay, the beginning of Act 3 is going to be where they, you know, where you find a resolution. I feel like in a lot of 30-minute comedies, you know, that formula is still there and, and you're right, you can't really explore so much depth or, you know, with a show like, excuse me, with a show like Girls, you know, they can, they can kind of go all over the place and there doesn't need to be, you know, you don't know at moment, you know, 46 and minute 46 in the episode what you're going to see like mm-hmm. every week, but... Um, there was actually, um, I don't know if you've watched Master of None at mm-hmm. all, uh, yeah. Aziz Ansari's show, he's a comedian, um, it's a Netflix show, they just released the entire series on Netflix, but it's, God bless um, Netflix, boy. But it's a 30 minute show that, um, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a 30 minute Yeah, Louis C.K. doesn't do it yeah. either, yeah. And, you know, yeah. I think when you have a studio audience, there's a, uh, you're doing a little playlist. Yeah. Well, sure, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, Goldberg's was like that single cam. I mean, you look at shows like Parks and Rec and 30 Rock and 
Um, you know, they all do. You know, they all have the same amount of. You Don't know, you watch it for a different reason, though? I mean, when I, I notice what's going on with me and my my viewing of which. There isn't much. Um, what they're, what I'm doing is I'm. Uh, first of all, I'm. I mean, the news and uh, mm-hmm. is is addictive and it's it's overwhelming. And there is a point at which you just go, I really just need something, yeah, simple and relaxing. Mm-hmm. And um, the formula is is satisfying. Yeah, I, I do remember something disturbing though. I do remember my last uh, time in. Uh, I was doing a show at the same time in in a big theater in God in San Bernardino, <laughs> and uh, uh, with Leslie Uggams <laughs> and uh, uh, playing a drug addict. There was a fond <laughs> I haven't thought of that in years. But I came back and I was in the studio audience and I was listening to the studio audience laugh, but I felt it was mechanical. Mm-hmm. And what I meant by that is when the right pause came, they knew to laugh. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this is really not, well, this is not, they, the, the laughs were no longer sort of earned or surprised, they were by mm-hmm. rote. Yeah. And that there was a rhythm to it that I actually thought was not as um, enlivening. Mm-hmm. Sure. That there was, a, there was the, and that the audience was becoming trained yeah. by the medium. Yeah. And I, I think that uh, the new, the newer form of comedy, I think Louis C.K. You know, although I think he's very racy, I even I'm yeah. just so shocked by the show. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm I'm impressed by the um, the daring to say people don't have to be sent to bed feeling all yeah. is well. All is exactly yeah. I think I feel that in in. I mean, in a lot of my stand-up comedy is that, like, in, in, in the direction of stand-up comedy in general, too, is that, you know, you don't have to have a laugh a minute. Sometimes people do want to feel something. They want to feel a moment of truth or, or, or to ponder something. And there's really a lot of strength in the silence sometimes. And it's, it's, a, it's an important thing as a comic for me to learn and as a writer as well to know That's- that... Yeah, it's also not to say, and I want to be clear since this is a Golden Girls podcast, that I don't <laughs> think that... Uh, I think Golden Girls did a, a lot of, of very wonderful things. I think it empowered women who disappear at a certain age with real three-dimensional characters. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, in some ways, a feminist piece mm-hmm. in that they were old broads, but they were finding out they could have a life and lives, you know, and their primary relationships and their friendship was something that was sort of radical. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and I, so I think that the, uh, the, the theme of having friends, um, that are that, that close. And also at the very end, there was something very satisfying about ending it by that formula. And mm-hmm. I, I actually think that, Whit Thomas Harris, Susan Harris, uh, tapped into a, a need, I mm-hmm. think. And I, I think it was one of the, I think maybe why there are still fans is you felt good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You felt better after you watched it. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, they were widows. They yeah. could have, they could have 
shriveled up and been by themselves and instead they found strength in each other, you know? Well, there's also, I mean, there's, it's a huge feminist statement, Golden Girls. I do, I do want to remember Masters of Sex because I feel like a lot of listeners watch that show and, and yeah. want to know some things about that show. Um, and it takes place in my hometown, which I, of course, am very oh, excited course, by. Right. Um, but uh, I think not only in the feminist angle, I mean, there's so much written out there about the, also the gay angle of the Golden Girls and what... I mean, half of our listeners are probably gay Why? listening well, to this. I'm very curious about well, it. Well, there's, I mean, I wrote a paper in college about it. It's, it's, it's a, there's, there's a sense of, the, for the same reason Barbara Streisand is idolized and these deep, Bette Midler's idolized, there's something about not being viewed as worthy. There's something about being viewed as lesser than, either uh-huh. be it because of your age or because you're old or because you're, you're, you don't look a certain way or you're not blonde or whatever. There's, there's just something about being an outcast that then, if you're in the closet, if you're pushed against a wall and you see other people owning this outcast label, owning sort of this ability and living full lives and being not brassy, but being very just free, it's, it's a statement of it's okay. You can, you can laugh at this fun joke. You can laugh at yourself. You can, you can have friends that are also outcasts. You can create families where possibly families don't normally exist. And right. it's, a, it's, it's a really interesting, and I mean, for me as a child, I, I, I was very much aware of loving these four women, and I was also aware of why I loved them, because in a weird way, I felt different from my family, and I felt different from my friends and different from people around me. And they were different. I didn't. I had not. I didn't see people like that in the real no, world. No. And you know, I guess as a uh, writing now, one of the things that is so. I mean, it. The demand to have characters a certain age yeah. by the uh, various, by every studio, by every network, mm-hmm. by by trying to reach a demographic that's going to continue to consume products mm-hmm. for the next. I don't know. However long that you want, you want a certain demographic because they brand, they they, they yeah. become you know loyal to the brands that you advertise with, and so it's extremely difficult even showing people different people, different kinds of people. Well, it's becoming more diverse, I think, ethnically and certainly in terms of the progress that's been made in, in the gay community. Mm-hmm. But age has not been. Yeah. Uh, has not been conquered yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are not valued viewers. Yeah, and so the fact that the Golden Girls um, was on, mm-hmm. and and that these were, and it was a top-rated show, um, was was sort of revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that that yes, these are these are older than middle aged women, you yeah. know, and you are caring and and they're funny and they're you know that was uh, that was a uh, that broke ba- a huge barrier and it hasn't really been repeated since. No, mm-hmm. no, it hasn't. Yeah. Much much to my dismay because I would love to write women that age. You write know. one for Kelly Bishop. Oh, I'm dying to see Kelly Bishop. Just can the adult smoke? <laughs> <laughs> You know, shows like Hot in Cleveland or there are women who, like with the Golden Girls, you wouldn't see women on TV now. Yeah. Even on Hot in Cleveland. Yeah. Exactly. They look a lot younger. I mean, you have have a token funny old, one funny old person. Yeah. I mean, I'm seeing it in even. This is so small compared to all of that, but even in like whenever I do videos for, I won't say 
the networks. But whenever I do anything and I get commissioned to do something, I have to shave. I have to, I can't, I usually have a beard and I have to completely shave because it takes like two years off me. They want someone young and looking like, you know, whatever. And if you notice all my videos, I'm shaved, but like it's, it's, it's a thing. You can't look a certain age. I have gray in my beard. And so that's, I guess why I have to shave, but it's, and I'm only 33 and I'm feeling it. I know, <laughs> so I it's, like, I'm it's, 33. I'm constantly told not to like say my age. Yeah. Same. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I'm proud of my age. I feel like, when, you know, yeah. I don't want. I love being 33. Yeah. Well, it's very. Wait, wait till suddenly and it <laughs> happens. It happens quite. Where you're, you're sort of the young people in the room, and then suddenly, your bosses are 20 years younger than you. It's yeah. very. That's very weird. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is. It's and 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 God bless them because. There is something about the understanding that television's a medium about the zeitgeist. Yeah. And uh, it's one thing Ryan Murphy, uh, when we worked on Niptuck, was always really good about. Mm -hmm. And his background was magazine writing, features. Mm -hmm. And so he actually knew where the story was. He knew what people would want to tune into. Yeah. And he was very au courant. He's very good. Yeah. So I mean that 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 is uh, so, so I I understand that times change. This they, they reflects mm-hmm. the culture and sometimes pushes the culture. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I I I would. But part of the culture are people of a certain age, and it you know it's wrong to keep them out of it. And I'm yeah. really grateful to Golden Girls for you know being so vital and so um, old. Well, speaking of women of a certain age, I before we wrap up oh, this... Oh, I feel like I still have three things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the three of us pitching maybe like a, like a, like a, a batteries not included um, TV show. Okay. Right? Because that, that had a, a fairly old cast, yeah? Yeah. Like, yeah, sort of. A little bit. I don't. I don't. What was Batteries Not Included? So batteries Not Included. Wasn't the movie where mm-hmm. aliens came into... That's Italy? Cocoon. Oh, Yes. <laughs> it's I, I was like, Batteries Included is about, days. you know, a weird Steve Gutenberg moment. That's why you did it, Steve Gutenberg. Yes, he's oh, very okay, handsome. He's very handsome. Okay. Well, so Masters of Sex. Um, there's a, there's a storyline, and just to give a reference of Masters of Sex. It's I was only in the first season. Which is great, because that's the storyline I do want to talk about, because I think it's fascinating. Um I well, the show is based about. Well, do you, you want to give a recap of the show a little bit first? Oh, no, you go. go ahead. It's a it's a show about Masters and Johnson. Is that yes, her name? That's yes. Right. And they were. Um, well, he was a psychi. You know, he was a gynecologist, mm-hmm. and he they did all kinds of sex studies, basically revolutionizing sort of sexuality and why we how we approach sexuality in space in St. Louis. A storyline, though of women of certain age in the first season is Alice and Jenny's storyline, which is one of my, well, she, I named my cell phone after Alice and Jenny. I put it out like in the thing, it's Alice and Jenny. Um, so whenever my car connects, you see Alice and Jenny in my car. Um, I love Alice and Jenny, but I love, and I loved her on West wing and I love her on everything. Again, it goes back to that ugly duggling syndrome where someone who's a little bit of, she's not ugly at all. She's gorgeous, but, um, no, but you know what I mean? She's not, stereotypically beautiful in that she's a very lanky woman, brunette, you know, the same thing that B. Arthur had when she was younger actress. Um, and she plays in this, in this, in this show, a wife wife of of the the president of the university. And she's very much, she's never had an orgasm in her life. She's very much out Mm -hmm. of the realm of sort of being seen as sexually viable. And, 
I was just so moved by that storyline and uh, the writing was perfect. And how was it, how did you approach creating that storyline? Well, first of all, let's be clear that I was a, you know, a, a co-executive producer so yeah. that the, all the, all the, you know, goes, all the kudos go to Michelle Ashford. Mm. Um, the, you know, really, uh, when you look at that period of time and, you know, we knew about so much of how our bodies worked, mm-hmm. uh, but nobody explored what the nature of sex was. I mean, it, your body does that too. It uh, digests, mm-hmm. it, it does other things, and it also does have orgasms. Yeah. Um, and it was the first time uh, people were daring to question from a purely medical point of view, mm-hmm. what does the body do? And I think that women, for a very, very inconceivable but true long time, didn't know if they'd had an orgasm or not, mm-hmm. because there you, you could actually put electrodes on you and and determine whether or not yeah. you had an orgasm or not. Now, but you know, this was a sense of emptiness and, and, and dissatisfaction in somebody who she was also married to a, a man who was not satisfied sexually either, was gay, um, which was not allowed. But, you know, I think the the sense of the importance of intimacy and the importance of being a fulsome human being mm-hmm. Uh, and what sex plays like in part of the human experience um, when somebody has been without it and then all of a sudden realizes, oh, God, I've never, I don't know what it is to to be a woman in, in mm-hmm. that. I don't know what, my body's been created to do this and it hasn't had that experience yet is, is a very heartbreaking um Heartbreaking moment for her when yeah. she suddenly goes, I, 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 you can't, I can't measure, you can't be part of the study. I because, was bawling at that moment because you, you haven't had this. Oh, that crushed me. Yeah, it was so. I can't. I'm getting emotional now. It was. It was. She won an Emmy for that. I think. I think she was. I don't know if she or won. She, was she, nominated. she might have won. Yeah, she remember. she deserves every award for it. Yeah, but it was a it was an incredible storyline, and it, I just found it to be. Really telling that, like, you know, and I love that I'm learning that you were a part of that storyline because it, it fits sort of the parallel between the Golden Girls going into and the flashback episodes. It was all of the very similar period within a couple of years. And it's, uh, yeah, we're just, we're very, uh, uh, we applaud your work and the work that you've done. Oh, don't. Um, and- <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm a very lucky person that I've had the uh, opportunity to, serve, uh, you know, on, on, you have one or two chances to say something, to be part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. That's as good as you can ever hope to be. Yeah. You know, that a couple of your conversations are, are remembered. You know, that's very that's nice. There's, there's a lot of chatter out there now. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that anyone can remember anything is very exactly is, is lovely. Carrie, before we get to the golden takeaway, what do you want to? Do you have another question? Yeah, I, I want to hear more about your Amazon show. Oh, uh, okay. Is it a pilot pickup or a series pickup? Well, I think what Amazon does is they make the pilot, they put it on, and then everybody votes. So please, yeah. everybody who's uh, listening to this, um, it's called the Interestings, and. Um, 
It's based on a book by Meg Wolitzer, and it follows a group of kids who are who meet at a, at a summer theater arts camp, or no, at a summer arts camp. Some of them would do other things. I was missed. And uh, when they're 15, and they remain friends their entire lives. And it it's sort of, uh, as we're all grandiose in our, our youths, and we have ideas of being, you know, greatness in waiting, uh, you then, and, and you go through your 20s when you're, I'm going to do this, and I'm, you know, I'm ferocious about my career, and you hit your 30s, and you go, gee, this is a lot different than I pictured. And then you hit your 40s and going, okay, I have to deal with reality now. You know, <laughs> it, it takes a look at how these friendships evolve. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a set of documentaries uh, that, that called yeah. Seven Up, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Ma- Michael Apton's work, where you, you see a kid who it, who's seven years old and you go, that kid's going to be a serial murderer. <laughs> and then he turns out to be mayor of the city. Mm-hmm. What a surprise. Whoa, shocking. Because life <laughs> takes on different twists and turns. And mm-hmm. one of the best things about the, the, the show that I'm excited about is that rather than look at a character at one time in their lives, we're telling three separate stories in different time periods in wow. people's lives wow. so that you're going to invest in the 15-year-old who dreams this story mm-hmm. and the 20-something who dreams this story and the 30-something who dreams that story. Wow, so it's like three... Three, three separate stories. Yes, and, and, and you know, it's... it's uh, if you're The present-day story or the story that takes place where you see them at their oldest... There'll be behavior. You'll wonder why is he like that, and then another story will answer that. Mm-hmm. But they're not flashbacks. Mm-hmm. They are each one of them is a complete story, mm-hmm. um, and it, which is a challenge, but also uh, a great opportunity to show us where we are at different stages of our lives. I know that as I get older and I look back on those years of. Um, how ferocious I was when I was a kid uh, about wanting to to have a career, you know, mm-hmm. and the ability to see, put it in perspective in some way as you get older is a big blessing. Yeah. And, wow. and, and the opportunity in this is also, what do you do when a friend of yours becomes really successful? Yeah. And <laughs> we, we have that every yeah, well, day of our lives. And you, and you love them. <laughs> we do, yes. And you, and you yeah. love them, and they're taking you in their limousine yeah. someplace, you know, yeah. and, 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 it's, and you have a different life. Yeah. And how, how do you value what really matters in life? And what mm-hmm. really matters in life turns out not to be the things you thought did. Yeah. Uh, we are all worshipers of, of, especially in this country, I think of our, our jobs and, mm-hmm. and our titles and everything. And really, the question, has, what do you do? Is always, right. yeah. it, it really, what makes you, I think, my, my aged experience is that, you know, what makes you happy has very little to do with that. Yeah. Uh, and nobody believes it, especially yeah. in, in this culture. But um, the most successful are not necessarily. Have have the best lives. Yeah, uh, but we get a chance to see, you know, people's plans mm-hmm. and how they respond to life. Yeah. And the great part of it is that 
we get to see characters over time, so it's not just one slice of them. Mm-hmm. It's like taking a 3D. Yeah. It's like cutting the tree at its rings. Yeah. That's great. The it, Interestings so. on Amazon. Yeah. We will definitely Please let everyone watch it know. And vote. When will yeah. it come out, do you know? Um, well, we're delivering it in April. Okay. Um, so, so probably I guess, summertime. Yeah, they, they usually, the pilots usually start airing like around now. Yeah. Okay. Some of their last year's Well, we will stuff. definitely, we have another Please. three years of this yeah. podcast. So when it comes out, we will definitely still be doing this podcast. Excellent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so at the end of every episode, Lynn, we do a golden takeaway. It's sort of a, typically we watch an episode and then we take, we have the guests come up with a life lesson that they can derive from that episode that maybe they can impart on our listeners. But because we didn't watch an episode and because you're so special, I thought it would be a nice golden takeaway because as Carrie and I, same age, doing the same thing at the same level in the career that you, that the career we want is where you're at. Be um, sure you want, you know, yeah. <laughs> my message, that's my golden takeaway. My golden, my golden question I should pose would be for you is what sort of advice would you give listeners, young artists, people really just coming up, wanting to work in the business, or just wanting to focus on their art, how would you suggest for them to stay committed? You know, you remember Jean Stapleton? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She came up to me All once. in the family. Right. Uh, Edith. And she was so dear. And she once said to me, you know, I've never taken a job for money. Mm. And uh, I believed her because she worked a lot. And sometimes you have to. Uh, that's not the point. But... I would be more interested in doing what I do well than in getting attention for it. Mm. And I think if you keep your eye on being good rather than being known, um, you'll get more satisfaction out of the work. Yeah. Because ultimately, you know, you get great opportunities and tremendous disappointments and it's all just work yeah and the satisfaction the stuff you're going to take away i think is is when you look back and go nice that was a good i wrote that well or or um i feel good about what i did Mm -hmm. and in the end i think there's really out of your work there's nothing more and then the other thing i would say is it's just a job. Mm. Live your life. Yeah. Don't don't get caught up in this lust for fame and <laughs> and celebrity and notoriety and image and what what's the 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 thing that I mean if you want to look at the golden girls what what made them so special is that they were all originals mm. and weren't trying to be anybody else and um each had their own trajectories that were very different as, 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 as women. You know, they all did different things. Brew was a, a theater actress. And, mm-hmm. and I, just, I just feel like ultimately I have found that we, Richard and I, have lasted so long based on the quality of the scripts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you're pleasure and where your reward is going to come from because the rest you have no control of and it's none of your business yeah you can't do anything about it you just do the best you can yeah 
That's great. That's a great piece of advice to end. You're making me want to go right now. I, like, I, I want to get back to work. The hours are good and there's no heavy lifting. Yeah. So <laughs> Lynn, thank, thank you, you so much. This for... was a lot of fun walking down memory lane. Oh, yeah, it was, was great. It was thank so... Very And we will tell people you. when the interesting has come up on please, Amazon. We will please. get all the Golden and Girls read listeners. read the book. It's by Meg Wolitzer and you can get it, download it on Amazon. It's a good read. She's a wonderful writer and you'll enjoy it. Great. Great. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, you can go to outonthelanai.com for everything Golden Girls podcast related. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Golden Girls podcast. We post a ton of photos, links, crazy rare footage of the Golden Girls. We are also on Tumblr. And uh, if you have a few minutes, please go to iTunes, rate the podcast if you like it, leave us a glowing review, and just make it more popular for us because we all love it. Let's be real. They got a few minutes. Go to outonthelanai.com slash discuss that's d-i-s-q-u-s and look for today's episode to leave your questions and comments you guys you can also donate to the podcast because we need it to you know promote shows maybe do the live show in your town all kinds of crazy things that we're doing we need your support so go to out on the slash donate also thanks to spreaker for their free hosting services Woo-hoo. and finally thanks to headgum you can check out all their awesome podcasts on headgum including jake and amir's the best of friends gilmore guys Many great podcast guys. Check them out. And of course, remember, guys, stay golden. That's so creepy. It is a little creepy. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>